share, I want to begin by sharing a vision that I had last Sunday, but if Pastor Dave is watching, uh, Dave, I was paying attention, um, but all of a sudden I found myself entering into a vision, and I want to share that with you today, and what I saw was this huge threshold, and it was really, really long. Uh, it wasn't very wide, but it was really, really long, and all of us as a group were standing in front of that threshold. And uh, for those of you online, I felt like it included everybody, all of us, right? And we were standing there, and it was amazing what was behind that threshold. It was, it was green, the grass was green, or flowers, a blue sky, and just so much energy. You know, it's just like you just wanted to get there. And I just continued to watch, and I saw something interesting. I saw some people go over they easily stepped over that threshold and into that new place but there were quite a few people who were unable to go across and some of them actually stepped over easily but fell into this really deep pit and uh, some of them came up and there was a door there that they didn't see it was like clear and all of a sudden they realized there was a door and so they were trying to get in by you know using a thumbprint or an eye print or a voice print some kind of an identity sensor and nothing would work. And then I saw some people and they were trying to step over and they'd get tripped up by this little teeny wire. It wasn't big, it wasn't high, but for some reason each one of them um, tripped up. And then this was interesting. I saw some people coming and they were walking, 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 but actually they had entered into a revolving door and didn't realize it. And so they were going forward, but then they found themselves back to where they had already started. And then there were some that stepped over, but into this pit of snakes. And yeah, and then there were some people and they came up and there was a distortion mirror. You know what those are? It's like they make you look really, really fat or really, really tall or really, really skinny. But it was only a narrow mirror. But it so confused them that they were unable to go on either side. It would have been very easy for them just to go to the side of it and ignore it. But they weren't able to do that. And then some would come up to that line and this brick wall would just come up just like that and they were unable to go forward. But the really weird thing was, is they kept trying to go forward. You know, they'd hit the wall and oh, and then they'd back up and they'd go forward and they'd hit the wall again. It's like, oh, this is crazy. And I was just sitting there and I thought, God, what are you showing? And I feel like what the Lord said is that we corporately and individually are on a threshold of sorts, that God has for us a new beginning, uh, a new opportunity, that we're stepping into a deeper place of God's love and fulfillment of all that he has for us. And I thought of that scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a common one, but it says, and the Lord is speaking. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, right? Plans not to harm you, but to prosper you and to give you a future and a hope. And as I was thinking there uh, uh, last Sunday, I thought about the sermons that Dave has had, Pastor Dave has had over the last weeks and months about prosperity, about growth, about even crossing over. And I thought, this is what it is, is that the Lord wants us to step into those plans and purposes, step into our true identity in him. But some of us are stumbling. Some of us are having difficulty um, stepping into that place that God has for us. 
that there are obstacles that we're struggling with, but for many of us, we don't understand what the struggle is. And so I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what is it? What is it that, what do all these things represent? And I felt basically what it represented was the issue of shame. That shame is an obstacle that will keep us in a small place, keep us in this place where we're unable to really step into the fullness of what God has for us. Now, this is, um, this is an issue that's really hard sometimes to even recognize because we've spent our whole life, you know, hiding it or covering up or disguising it or compensating for it. And we're so ashamed of shame, oftentimes we, we don't even want to talk about it, right? Or we don't know what it is and we get it all mixed up, right? We, we don't really know what shame is. We think that shame is somebody that walks around like a mouse, you know, and really, really shy and can't talk. But you know what? Shame can look like that, but it can also look like a caged lion. People who are angry and aggressive and prideful and striving. And it can also look like this gerbil on a gerbil wheel. Somebody just continuing and continuing and continuing and never getting to where they want to go. So I would like to put, if you guys could put up that scripture from Hebrews 12, one through three, and I'm reading it out of the New Living Translation. Anytime there's a therefore, we need to find out why it's there, right? What's the for, what, why is it therefore? So listen, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great, uh, huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Isn't that an amazing scripture? And so you guys, God is calling us forward, right? And we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We have each other. I love what, what Pastor Kate was sharing. You know, we're part of a family. God has set us in a family, people who will encourage us, people who will strengthen us, people who will encourage us, you know, to go forward in the things of God. And I love this. It says to strip off every weight. And that first song that we sang, who can carry this weight of sin, right? It's like those songs were amazing. Thank you, worship team. Who can carry this weight of shame, the weight of sin? Jesus Christ, right? So strip it off, take it off, especially the sin that so easily trips you up. And let us run with endurance. And that word endurance simply means uh, to stay in the race. Don't give up. You know, don't lose heart. Don't get tired. Stay in the race. And that word race is an interesting Hebrew word. It's actually come, it's a word agon, and it's a Greek word, and it's where we get our English word agony. When I learned that, it made this scripture come alive for me. And what the writer is saying, run your agony, right? Run your agony as though to win. Don't give up. Stay in the race because of joy. See, Jesus endured that shame. He carried the weight of it. He endured it. 
He hung before his own mother naked. His friends and family deserted him. They stripped him, they, they plucked his beard. He endured such shame that we can't even imagine so that we could have victory over it, eh? So that we today could appropriate what he has already done and find the freedom to go forward in joy and forward in strength and forward in confidence. So let's just talk a little bit about what shame is. If it's one of those obstacles, I, I love the scripture in Hebrews uh, 54 where it says, Comfort ye, O comfort ye my people. Remove every obstacle out of the way. And that word obstacle can be a cause of failing or falling, a cause of sinning, or a defense of the heart. So as I was sitting there, I was asking God, God, how can shame be such an obstacle that it would prevent so many of us from going forward? So let's look at shame. And some people think that shame is actually guilt, but it's not. It's two totally different things. And so let's look at guilt first. Guilt is our friend. It really is. It's a gift of God. It's a kindness of God. Don't you know that it's a kindness of God that leads us to repentance? Amen? Right? It's a horrible feeling. How many of you have felt the feeling of guilt? How many of you like it? nobody it's painful and yet it's necessary because it's that knowledge oh my gosh I've hurt someone oh I've done something wrong and it's that feeling that drives us to the cross and drives us to the feet of Jesus Christ where we say Lord I messed up I am so sorry please forgive me and he says I'm so glad you're here I'm so glad you asked yes Yes, I'll forgive you. And he washes us clean, and we're restored to relationship. Guilt is absolutely all about relationship. We were in a group of people, and one of the men, um, it was a group of Elijah House people, and one of the men says, well, you know what? I don't even want to feel guilt anymore. I don't want to talk about guilt anymore. It says, I'm just not even going there. And all of us went, <gasps> you know, and, and Peter, he says, well, actually, guilt is our friend. We need guilt right? But the thing with guilt is that there's a time um, when guilt has done its work, we don't need it anymore. After we've been to the cross, we don't have to feel it anymore. Isn't that awesome? It does a work, and then we can cross over into the resurrection side, into relationship, into righteousness, into a new beginning and a new start. And I think this is where we get messed up at the ch as a church sometimes, not this church, but the church at large, is that we stay at the cross. We go to the cross, which is awesome and necessary, but we stay there. But God never intended us to stay in a place of death, right? Or shame. He says, yeah, go there, appropriate everything that Christ has done, and then cross over that and step into the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. <laughs> know you not that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you? Wow. And so we can step into that power. We can step into that newness of life, but we can't stay at the cross. There is a crossing over an appropriation, but then a crossing over. <clears throat> if someone comes to me and says, oh, I feel so guilty about that, I never say, don't feel guilty about that. I'll usually say, why do you feel guilty about that? Because sometimes people need to feel guilty, right? And sometimes they need to feel just a wee bit 
more guilty. You know, it's like, okay, <laughs> how has your action hurt other people or your inaction? You know, what pain have you caused your children or your spouse? And just to help people really look at how their actions have, or inactions have hurt other people. And so it's like, <clears throat> just to ask them, why do you feel guilty? There was a um, 70-year-old man, a little Irishman, spunky man I ministered to several years ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he had been a mercenary from the time he was 14 years old. Can you imagine how young that is, 14? He left home. And some of the stories that he told me, thank you, some of the stories that he told me about what he had done and the things that had been done to him were amazing and traumatizing. And at one point, he put his head in his hands and he said, I wish that there was a remedy for the guilt that I feel. He was crying. He said, I wish that there was a remedy. And I said, sir, there's a remedy. And he, spunky little Irishman, you know, and he just put his finger in my face and he said, but you don't know what I've done. And so I'm a bit spunky myself. So I put my finger in his face and I said, but sir, you don't understand what Jesus has done. Amen. So many times we're unable to cross over because of the weight of what we have done in the past. Or the shame of what has been done to us. But there is a remedy. Don't you love that? There's a remedy. But sometimes that feels too easy. Well, well that's too easy. You know, you don't, you don't get how bad I've been. Jesus gets it. He knows. And he loves us anyway. There was a woman that came to me after a seminar, and she said, Sandy, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. And she said, 21 years ago, I had an abortion, and she started to cry. And I said, oh, honey, have you repented? And she said, yes, so many times. And she, just, she was just crying and sobbing. I said, have you been forgiven? And she said, well, I know. I know what scripture says. I know what people have told me. I know it. I said, yeah, but do you know it here? And she said, no. And I said, have you forgiven yourself? And she said, how could I? It was so, it was so bad. I said, you know what? The instant, 21 years ago, the instant you told God, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. He forgave you. He separated you out from that sin as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't even remember it anymore. He cleansed you. He, he made you righteous with right standing before him. I said, what you've been carrying for 21 years is not guilt. It's shame. And so the remedy for guilt is the cross, and you have been there. Guilt did its work. You don't have to carry it any longer. The remedy for shame is the truth. And we're going to deal with that today. And I said, yeah, amen. There was a remedy. And I said, it may sound noble for you to say, oh, I can't forgive myself. But that's not noble at all. What we're basically saying when you, we say that, and I used to say that all the time, what we're basically saying is, Jesus didn't do enough. Right? Jesus didn't do enough for this sin. And I guarantee you, he did enough. He did enough. 
And so she was, she was, got this incredible healing. And her husband came up to me, and this was in the southern United States, and they are real cowboys down there. Not the wannabes, but the real cowboys. And he came up to me, and he had the big belt buckle and the blue jeans and the bow legs. And, and he said, Miss Sandy? <laughs> and I said, yeah. He said, can I talk to you? I said, sure. And he said, you know what? You prayed for my wife last night, and you changed her life, and you changed mine. She loved her husband with all her heart, but she was really unable to give herself to him because of the guilt she carried. She was really unable to be fully happy because she felt like she didn't deserve it. And so when we carry that shame, it affects us, you guys, but it also affects everybody around us. And we are so corporate. We're part of a family. We're part of a group. And so what I carry, what I struggle with, affects you. And what you carry and struggle with affects me. We're in this together, eh? That's why we're in this great crowd of witnesses that encourage one another and strengthen one another. Shame is an enemy of grace. I love the scripture that says I don't frustrate the grace of God. We can frustrate grace when we say, I don't deserve forgiveness or what I've done is too bad. Shame is a tool of Satan, and it binds us to trauma and to sin. We feel guilt for what we do. It's a matter of behavior, and we feel shame because of who we think that we are. It's an issue of identity. For instance, guilt may say, you just made a mistake here. But shame turns it around, and it becomes a lie, an identity lie, and it becomes, you are a mistake. Guilt may say, you've lost. You've lost this marriage. You've lost this investment. You've lost this game. You've lost this opportunity. But do you know what shame does? It turns it around, and what does shame say? You are a loser. We, guilt may say, you have just failed at this. Guilt or shame turns it around and says, you are a failure. Guilt may say, you have done something wrong here, but shame turns that around and it says you are wrong. And this is such an enemy, you guys, to repentance or correction, because if I believe, and this, I had this foundational belief, I am wrong, I'm a mistake. So if you were to come up to me and say, Sandy, I think you're wrong about that, how does that feel? It's like, boom. And if it was just a little teeny correction, I feel it this way. Because what I think, what I see through my grid, my shame grid, is, no, you're telling me I'm wrong. And it's kind of crazy-making, because you might say, no, no, I'm, uh, no, I'm just saying that you might be wrong about this, or you've done something wrong, but it's easily corrected. But when I hear it, it's I'm wrong. And so I become defensive, or I become angry, or I pull back from you. Does that make sense? And leaders struggle with this every day. You try and, and correct with love and with compassion. And, you know, you just want to help people. And sometimes, if there's an issue of shame, no matter what you say, no matter how kindly you say it, people receive it as an offense. Or they receive it as, oh, you're telling me that I am wrong. We can't be wrong, right? I can't be wrong. We're easily offended. I love Pastor um, Kate, you know, she was quoting out of Corinthians, right? First Corinthians 13, love is 
Love is kind and patient and gentle. Love is not easily offended. But so many of us in the church, you guys, we get offended over the smallest things. And basically what it is, it's usually a shame wound and someone has touched it. Shame usually is identified by those I am statements that we have. You know, God had an I am statement. I am that I am. Can you hear him saying that? I am what I am. Jesus had a whole lot of I am statements. He wanted us to know all of the different aspects. You know, I am the bread. I am the living water. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And all of those things helped us to help us to understand who he is. And you and I have I am statements as well. But sometimes our I am statements are inaccurate and sometimes downright lies. Like, I'm stupid, I'm worthless, I'm inferior. One of my favorite scriptures is found in 1 Corinthians 15.10. And Paul is speaking and he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not without effect. Don't you love that? And the thing is, in context, you know, remember Paul before his salvation? He killed people. He rounded up innocent men and women. He stood by and watched why Stephen was killed. He did a whole lot. But what he was saying is, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am not defined by what I did in my past, right? I am not defined by what happened to me. But also, when he wrote this, the disciples were seeing signs and wonders, dead people raised. I mean, 3,000 people saved in a day and all this stuff going on. But what he was saying is, I am not defined by that either. I don't need a title. I don't need recognition. I don't need all that stuff. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me is not without effect. So oftentimes, we, we come to experience shame because of words that have been spoken over us, particularly by our moms or our dads, or things that have happened to us. And we feel like that somehow defines us. I'm bad. I'm dirty. And if we don't have a strong I am statement, this is who I am, and we know it in our heart, it usually gets turned upside down and it becomes a question, who am I? We feel, do you remember that identity sensor door? Well, shame wraps around our identity. We oftentimes carry shame because of our ethnicity, our color. I've traveled through minister quite a bit, and it's interesting because in the States, people will buy all this cream and everything to make us darker, and we go into tanning booths, and on the booths it says, you know, this will cause cancer, you know, but people do it anyway. They crawl into these little coffin things, and it's like to get darker. But if you go to the Philippines and you go into a pharmacy, they have white skin whitening uh, things, right? And so it's like we're ashamed of our ethnicity or our color or our weight or our gender or our disability or our poverty, and we feel inferior. Isn't that crazy? That someone somewhere could tell us that we are less than because of our gender or because of our ethnicity or our color. And so that's one part of the shame. The other part of the shame 
is where I think I'm superior. Inferiority and superiority. It's one part of that shame structure. It's just different sides of the saddle, and they're both wrong. Because I, you know, I didn't know who I was, and so I performed for love and acceptance. I tried to find my identity in what I did and how well I did it. And I was always looking for validation. And where this falls over, you guys, is if our identity is in what we do and how well we do it, what happens to us when we can't do that anymore? Or we don't do it as well as the new person who comes in, where we lose our place. What happens? I wore masks. I didn't know I wore masks, but I did. I, it's like, tell me who you want me to be, and I'll be it. I was somebody different at work, and somebody different in the church, and somebody different at home. That's shame. Remember that thin wire that trips us up? Well, one of my lies was I'm a disappointment. So I didn't want to fail people, but I didn't take risks either. I didn't try things. I... A fear just wrapped around my life, and I was so afraid. You guys, in this vision, people were afraid to step into that new thing. And it's shame that will pull us back and say, no, you can't go there. What if you make a mistake? What if you make a fool of yourself? What if, you know, people don't like you, right? What if they don't like what you have to offer? Ah, uh, it's more than me in this room that have allowed shame to hold you back. So you don't sing, you don't try, you don't risk. But then on the other hand, the other side of the saddle, I made myself do things. I gutted through life, and that can be good if we push past fear and push past shame. But it wasn't good for me because I had a lifetime of it, and eventually my body paid the price, and I realized that. We don't have to gut through life, we just have to deal with the obstacles, amen? Amen. Sometimes that thin wire can be perfectionism. And perfectionism is a counterfeit of the gift of excellence, where we do things well and we do things excellently because it's who we are. But perfectionism is a twist, and it, the, the twist is fear and shame. And it's like, if I don't do things perfectly, then I'll be embarrassed or I'll be ashamed or people will reject me. There's a stress with it, a striving with it. One of the things that will hold you back or trip you up is the fear of greatness. Yeah? In Psalm 18, it says, God stoops down to make me great. Now, I don't want you to think in the world's terms of greatness, but in kingdom terms of greatness. He who is least, who, he who is great will be servant to all. Amen? But if we embrace greatness as God calls us into it, we will have opportunity, we will have favor, we will have connections, we will have networks, we will have influence to be able to advance the kingdom of God. So should we fear it? No. Should we hold back from it? No. Should we pursue it ourselves in our own flesh and in our own way? No, definitely not. Some people are so afraid of the spotlight, of being seen. That's shame. We had a small group one night, and I asked how many people were shamed in their school when they sang. A whole bunch of hands went up, you know, when you were growing up. Has it affected you now in the way that you sing in church? Do you hold back? Do you not sing at all? Are you afraid to sing? 
It's amazing how those early experiences can affect us and hold us back even now. Remember that hole that people would fall into? That was me. Discouragement, depression. There were times I wanted to die from shame. I was quite suicidal earlier in my life, and I really wanted to give up. I didn't know how to run my race. I really didn't know how. People die from shame every single day. Again, if our identity is wrapped up in what we do, if we make a mistake or don't do it well or can't do it any longer, then we, we feel lost. We feel hopeless. Children are aborted because of shame. The pit with snakes, the Lord said, that's addictions. People, um, experts will tell you that at the root and core of all addictions is the issue of shame. If you try to deal with addiction and you do not address the issue of shame underneath it, the healing will be incomplete at best and usually ineffective, maybe for, effective for a time, but not for the long haul. Usually we don't know what to do with the pain that we feel, and so we reach for something to make us feel better, right? Or to numb the pain, we reach for substance or people or, or an activity of some kind, and it can develop into an addiction, and then we feel guilty for what we're doing, and so it makes this horrible addiction cycle, and shame is always in the middle. So if you are struggling with an addiction and you haven't heard this before, it's like, oh, I might be dealing with shame, Find somebody to help you, right? Work through this issue of shame. Shame draws us to shameful things. We're drawn to it, the pornography, that which is dark. We're drawn to it, and we draw it to ourselves. We need to deal with this, you guys, if we're going to go forward, if we're going to step over into the plans and the purposes of God. Now, after I became a Christian, um, I let those addictions go, right? But mine became gold-plated. Do you know what I mean? And the busyness and the perfectionism and the church work and all that, I just traded one addiction for another. So we need to look at our life and the motive and why we're doing what we're doing. That revolving door, it's going around the mountain. Right? Remember the children of Israel? Round and round the mountain, 40 years, a whole generation died and couldn't cross over. Mainly because of unbelief and fear, but also the issue of shame. God told them, I'm going to drive those giants out before you. Yes, there are giants in the land, but I will, draw them, I will drive them out before you. But when they got there, 10 of the spies said, oh, we're but grasshoppers in their eyes. That's shame speaking. Shame thinks small and draws other people into our smallness. Caleb and Joshua, yep, there's giants there. We're well able. Let's go. Come on. But Joshua and Caleb had to wait for all those years for people to die. Can you imagine how long that was? And can you imagine being the last one to go and everybody just watching you? Are you going yet so we can go in? 
shame tempts us to think small, and it keeps us in that revolving place, round and round and round the mountain. Shame keeps us in a mediocre place, which basically means halfway up the mountain, right? Do you want to settle, you guys? Shame tends us to settle and to not go into the promises, to not face the giants. Is it scary? Yeah. But shame says, don't risk that. You'll make a fool of yourself. Oh, don't do that. What would happen if you did that? And of course, the enemy loves this. And that fun house mirror or that distortion mirror, you know what? We, I think all of us have a distorted view of ourselves, And it also distorts how we see other people. Shame-based people shame people. That's why it's so important for us to deal with this. We, we did a study a couple years ago, I think. Um, was it Danny Silk? Loving on Purpose? Building a Culture of Honor? But I don't believe we can actually effectively do that if the people within that culture are still carrying shame. And again, most of us don't realize that we do carry shame because sometimes we cover it up quite well and we look quite successful. And sometimes the drivenness in our life is simply to prove that we're okay and that we've succeeded. And that brick wall is oftentimes bitter root expectations. I'll be abused or I'll be shamed or I'll never amount to anything. I won't be able to do that. I'll never succeed. I'll always fall on my face. People will laugh at me. I'll be embarrassed. And so then, to protect ourselves from that, we make these strong inner vows. I won't let anybody hurt me that way again. I won't be vulnerable. I won't let them see the real me. I won't let them get close enough to hurt me that way again. And we come up against that over and over and over in our life. Vulnerability is the willingness to leave our heart open even when it hurts. Brene Brown says that it's the greatest measurement of courage, the willingness to be vulnerable. We cannot be truly vulnerable on a heart level if we're carrying shame. Does that make sense? Because vulnerability is, is the willingness to let you see me. But if I have all these lies about who I am, I'm not going to let you that close. Thank you very much. And sometimes what happens when we join a church, it's wonderful for a while, but when it starts to feel like family, then everything that's unresolved in our family that we came from begins to surface. And that's a wonderful opportunity because we can be healed by the family. But most often what we do is we back up and say, whoa, I don't want to feel this anymore. Ah, oh, that triggers into something. No, I'll go look for another church. So shame is such an enemy, you guys, and it's such an enemy of our ability, corporately and individually, to step into the plans and the purposes of Almighty God, eh? So I want you just to take a minute and think about the different obstacles. You may be the one that was able just to step right over and hallelujah into that new place, into that bigger place, into that fuller place. Hallelujah. But you may have 
identified with one of those other things. Maybe you're caught in an addiction. Maybe you're caught in depression, hopelessness, discouragement. Maybe you keep tri tripping up. Maybe you're caught in perfectionism. What obstacle? Is there an obstacle? Just ask the Holy Spirit, even right now. Just ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, is there anything that's holding me back from stepping into this new place? And just listen. Just listen. Holy Spirit, come. And I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. And those of you online, I really want you to do this as well, just to respond. But I'm going to ask you to close your eyes because when we're shame-based, it's really embarrassing to be honest in front of other people. So this is a vulnerable place where we are right now. But if you recognized, you know what? I might be facing one or more of those obstacles. I'm going to ask you to do a very brave thing. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. You're not raising it to me. You're raising it to the Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, I want to deal with this. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, come. I want to cross over. I want to go in. I don't want anything to hinder me or to stop me or to block me or to thwart me. Holy Spirit, I want everything that you have for me. Come, Holy Spirit. So you can put down your hands now and just let the Holy Spirit brood. So, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come. I pray that you would go to every person that is struggling right now. And I really feel like there's some people here and you've been struggling with that pit, with that depression, and with that ho hopelessness. And the Lord wants to speak to you <clears throat> today and just say, there's hope. Don't give up. Run your race as though to win. Come forward for prayer afterwards. We'll have an altar call. Come forward for prayer and say, the one Sandy was talking about, the, the thoughts of suicide, the thoughts of discouragement, that's me. Will you pray with me? Will you stand with me? Maybe you're carrying shame because of what you've done in the past and you haven't told anyone, or you have told someone and you still carry the weight of that. I encourage you afterwards to come forward. We're going to make an opportunity for it. Don't keep carrying this weight. Jesus carried it for you. He's your champion. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. You've been so faithful. All our lives, you have been faithful, and you're faithful even now in saying, I have so much more for you. I love you. I have so many great plans and purposes for you. Let it go. Let go of the shame that binds you. Let go. Recognize and deal with the things that are tripping you up. 
Are you going round and round the mountain? Grab hold of somebody and say, hey, help me to pray this through. You guys were part of a body, and shame will be the one thing that will keep you from calling someone and saying, will you pray for me? Shame will be the one thing that will keep you in your seat and hinder you from coming forward for prayer. Shame will be the one thing that will cause you to wait and linger and go out and forget what you've heard today. But God is saying, don't do that. Take opportunity. Can you dare? Can you be brave today? Can you dare to say, God, have your way. I want to step over. God, have your way in me. Oh, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to reveal those obstacles. I give you permission. Okay. Those of you who want to pray that really scary prayer, a response would be just to raise your hand. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to show me any obstacle in my life. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to reveal the obstacles and to show me a new way. Let the Holy Spirit just brood on you. And now as we close, I'm just going to pray a prayer over you. And some of us have experienced shame because of the way that we started our life from the very beginning. And some of us experience shame because of what was done to us or what we've done. So I'd just like to take a couple of minutes and just to lift shame off. We'll ask Jesus to draw it to the cross and to restore honor and dignity and love. And so Holy Spirit, by your power and by your grace, I pray that you would bless that moment of conception when we came to be. And Lord, you know the circumstances. You know the people here that feel like they may be a mistake or they weren't planned. But Lord, you planned for them. They're not a mistake. You love them. And I pray that you would release that blessing on their identity today. And I call you forward. I just bless you. I just prophesy over you that there is a plan. There is a purpose. You are not a mistake. Oh, God loves you. Absolutely loves you. I bless all of that time that you were being knit together in your mother's womb. I bless you with the knowledge that God saw you there. He loves you. And perhaps mom might have had other thoughts. Maybe you were given up for adoption or you were placed in foster care. But you know what? That doesn't define you. Lord, would you draw to the cross the shame and the rejection and release the honor, release the dignity, and release, Lord, the knowledge deep within that we are accepted in the beloved. And Lord, I pray that you would draw to the cross the shame of all the things that we've gone through, the words that have been spoken over us, the things that have happened to us. 
draw the shame to the cross and fill us now, God, with honor, with purpose, with strength. Forgive us for the things that we have done and the people we have hurt. Give us courage if we've never gone to the cross with it to go to the cross today and to receive your forgiveness and your mercy. Lord, pour out your grace. Turn every lie, bring it to death and establish your truth over us, who we truly are in you. And I lift from you the shame. Some of you have been divorced or you've felt that rejection. I just break that off from you right now. And I declare, I declare the favor of God and the blessing of God over you in Jesus' name. And so I declare the plans and purposes of God and that they are good. They are good. They are good because he is a good, good God. And I encourage you today, as a cheerleader, I stand up here and I say, step over, you guys. Come on. I encourage you. I invite you to step into the plans and purposes of God. And I'm going to encourage you, if you feel like there's an obstacle that you can't pray through by yourself, again, even those listening online, find somebody to pray with you. There's opportunity. I'm going to ask for the, worship, the ministry team to come up, please. And if you would like further prayer as we close, come forward. We're happy to pray for you and to break those things off from you. So we just say, come Holy Spirit. We thank you so much for everything that Jesus did. And we receive it with grace. And all God's people said, amen.